I wait on you, Rich? We good to go? Don't worry, we can cut that from the tape. That's not a problem. <laughs> Guys, we, are, we, we, we try to do things with, let me just say this, we try to do things with excellence, but we do not take ourselves so seriously that we can't have fun with these things. So we're not worried about that, trust me. Uh, yeah. And, and I should just take this moment. There's so many who work really hard to make these things happen the way they do, and I just want to say thank you. And I'm thinking of Rich who's pulling triple duty in, this morning, so he's just... He rocks it every week, so thank you. Yeah. Well, church, the last seven weeks, we've been on this journey together where we've been looking at, really, what does it take to actually grow into mature Christians? What is required of us to break free of the strongholds in our lives to get out of the unhealthy ruts and patterns and to begin thinking, acting, trusting, connecting in a new way. We've been asking the question and trying to answer what is required to connect with Jesus and the Father through the Holy Spirit? What is necessary for us to connect deeply with one another? How in the world can we begin to thrive on a foundation of joy that energizes and strengthens us? How do we build high levels of commitment and love? In fact, we've been asking things like, how can we courageously correct one another? And how can we courageously receive that correction, that healthy correction, and and accept the healthy shame that brings the kind of radical change and transformation over time that God expects and intends for us? And how do we build a barrier against narcissistic leadership and And even the narcissism that we find in one another, because we all display it at one point or another, this thing that preys on weakness and takes advantage of others and employs that toxic shame that we need to avoid. How do we we put a barrier against that? And how do we, as Paul says in uh, the book of Ephesians, how do we attain to the whole measure of the fullness of Jesus Christ? Or to put it differently, how do we become like Jesus, the way that we're destined to become. Romans 8, 29, for you have been predestined to be conformed into the image of his son. That is the ultimate outcome for every one of us. But the question is, what path will we take to get there? Because I don't know about you, I've thought about this a lot in my life, and I probably think about it uh, in some ways a lot because I'm a pastor, and so I'm, I'm highly concerned with how to help people grow. But this is something that I've thought about earlier in life as well, and I used to think things like this. If I'm going to be perfect when I get to heaven, why do I need to work so hard now? Have you ever thought that or kind of had that in the back of your mind? Like, you know, it's really not too bad because I'm going to get to heaven and everything's going to be fine. And I want to suggest to you, this is not not gospel truth. This is me this is uh, my best uh, guess. I'm going to put it, I'm going to state it as a guess about what happens. And I had a great conversation with Beth about this this week, and I thank her for, for kind of bringing it up because it made me articulate it in a way I never had before. But here's, here's what I've come to believe. And I think this is, this is in line with what we see in Scripture. 
is that when you get to heaven, what happens is uh, you've been given a new life in Jesus Christ when you became saved. And then Paul describes this process where our spirit is at war with our flesh. And I don't just think he means our spirit is at war with our body. The flesh stands for something else. And the NIV translates that word as sinful nature. But the word Paul uses is flesh. He says, our spirit is at war with our flesh. The things I want to do, I don't do. The things I don't want to do, I do. And Paul describes turning to the law to find freedom from sin. But when the law enters in, his flesh or his sinful nature turns the law back into sin. And so what I believe that Paul teaches, the Bible teaches, that Jesus promises is that when we die and we go to be with him, then that part of our sinful nature is finally eradicated. The war is over. But then wherever you are, then you need to begin growing without the hindrance of sin. And I think of it this way. When you go to heaven, do you think you're going to have all knowledge? I suggest to you that the human brain cannot hold all knowledge. We are not uh, omniscient. We cannot be omniscient. Only God can be. What that means to me is that we'll always be able to learn. You ever thought about that? Going to heaven and spending eternity learning. But you'll not only learn knowledge, you'll grow in maturity as well. But now you won't have the hindrance of sin. But if you work now to grow to be more like Christ, then you just get a head start on what's to come. And yes, eventually it will happen. Of course. God will not leave you uh, where you are for eternity. But the work we do now matters now, and it will matter then. And that's important for us to remember. What we're doing now is not eradicated. It's not erased. It's not, it's not like, oh, great that you did all the hard work, but now here's the quick, easy fix. It's that you've put the work in and you continue the work. Howard. Absolutely. And we're going to talk about that exactly. Howard's just saying, and the more that you've conformed to the image of Christ now, the more you're a blessing to others. And that's exactly true. So we have dual motivations to grow. But what we often see in ourselves and quite frankly in others, is that sometimes we get to a point and we say, you know what, this is too hard. I'm just going to settle for what I have. And sometimes we settle for decades. And then maybe that moment comes where the Holy Spirit pricks us or Jesus opens a way for us that we hadn't seen before or God in His sovereign grace and His... And his um, his providence, you know, the providence of God, which is his pouring out of blessing on all of us. He opens up a new pathway for us to move forward, and I believe that's where we're at as a church right now. We're not discarding anything that we've done, but we're going to add to what we've done these new things that we're learning. We're learning that our emotional maturity, our relational maturity, are just as important as our spiritual maturity. We're learning that knowledge is only a small piece of growing. That if you don't apply the knowledge, then the knowledge is actually useless for you. James says, you know, it'd be like looking in a mirror. And then when you turn away, you forget what you look like. That's what it's like to read the Word of God and not do it. 
You know, these are really important realities that we have, I would say, in the church, overlooked for far too long. And so when we come together and ask the question, now what? You know, we've been on this journey for seven weeks. Now what do we do? Well, I want to suggest to you that though this seven-week journey has hopefully been meaningful for you, has, has anyone experienced something new in the last seven weeks because of what we've been doing, different from what you've experienced previously in life, in your Christian walk? Yeah, I'm seeing some hands go up, some heads nodding. It has been for me. But the reality is we really haven't accomplished our goal. We've only begun a process to achieve it. And that growing process is kind of like swimming up a violent river. There's nothing easy about growing. It is hard work. It takes sustained concentrated focus effort it has to be intentional and we have to do this in the face of all the excuses and temptations that will draw us away from doing what God has called us to do whether they're real or imagined some of them are in our heads some of them are external some of them are internal but this is like that rushing river and we've got to go against the flow have you ever seen video of, of you know salmon going up river to spawn. And, you know, there's, sometimes you get the underwater camera, and they're just going like this, trying to swim up river. And then what happens? They get to a bunch of rocks. And you think, oh, they're done for. They're done for. There's no way they can keep going forward because they've hit a hurdle that's too big. And what do they do? They literally... And I'm not, this isn't too much of a stretch. They literally fling themselves outside of their comfort zone, which is the water, outside of the only place that they can survive, into the void from their perspective. But then they land, for the most part, safely on the other side of those rocks after many attempts back in the place where they can swim forward again. It will feel like that sometimes. You will encounter a boulder on your progress to growth, and it will feel like, I can't get past this one. And you have to entrust yourself to the care of the Lord. Fling yourself out of your comfort zone. Sometimes it will feel like you can't even breathe. But then you'll land safely in the, in the arms of God and you can continue on your journey. And all these things are going to lure us away. Oh, this is hard. Let's do the easy thing. Oh, you're, you're not able to do this. Only other people can do this. Only those super Christians can do this. Let's take it. Let's get off this path. Uh, you know, uh, I, don't think they, I don't think God realized what you were facing when he said that we could be transformed. I know he meant it for everyone else, but he didn't mean it for you. And then we quietly make our exit. That's the temptation over and over. And if that happens, if we take, our, if we take ourselves off the path, you need to understand that you are literally giving up on your... God promised inheritance of holiness, of peace, of joy, and of deep contentment. These are your birthrights. These are the promises of the Lord. Do not give them up, church. So then, what do we do? What do we do now? So as we come to the end of this seven-week period, uh, this focused journey we've been on the temptation as i just said will be to kind of go back to the way we've done things before 
It's a more comfortable path. Uh, it's a more, uh, it's a less challenging way. And that's in part why we've been doing it. And, you know, maybe that means hiding instead of revealing our weaknesses. So I, I think we've all been in church, uh, anyone who's been in church long enough has learned how to hide their weaknesses around others. I would say anyone who's been in any community long enough learns how to hide their weaknesses before others. But God says reveal your weaknesses. Confess your sins to one another. You know, in the book of 1 John, uh, uh, John describes this process where people who, who hide their sin are walking in darkness and they do not have fellowship with one another and they don't have fellowship with God. But those who walk in the light, those who confess their sins to one another, those who are honest about not only the good, but the bad and the ugly, those ones, they walk in light, they have fellowship with one another, and they have fellowship with the Lord. That's a scary calling. So we can, be, we can hide our weakness or we can share our weakness. Now, by the way, do it wisely. Do it with trustworthy people. Do it with some safety. But it needs to be done. We can go back to judging others instead of receiving each other in our faults and failures. Guys, everyone in here, I'm, 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 I'm fairly confident of this. I've been, I've been reading the Bible long enough and watching people long enough to say this. Everyone in here has judged somebody. Everyone. But when we receive each other in grace, it allows for a different type of community, a different type of growth, a different type of connection. And it's beautiful when it happens, but it's not easy. We can go back to resisting corrections when they come, or we can begin to thank the Lord for the growth that correction brings, and so receive those corrections with gratitude. It is like us to be grateful when we are corrected because we know it makes us more like Jesus. We can go back to just doing Bible studies where we learn a lot, but our character isn't challenged. And that would feel like a wonderful, godly, like us thing to do. But God never intended us to read his word for information alone, void of transformation. Why does God share so much with us in the scripture? Have you ever thought about, you know, why do we have a Bible? Well, one, without a Bible, you wouldn't know how to find life in Christ. You wouldn't know that Jesus died on that cross for you, that he bore your sin and your shame and the scorn that you deserved, that he took it on himself and that in exchange, he gave you his holiness, righteousness, and the love of the Father. You wouldn't know that. But not only that, it's that you wouldn't know how to live, what the mind of Christ was, what being conformed to the image of Christ looked like without God's word. So he didn't give it to you just so you could get a big head. Now look, I, I did a four-year undergraduate degree in the Bible, and then I did a three-year master degree in theology, exegesis, preaching, all these things. And let me tell you this. Number one, I loved it. It was amazing for me. I found it to be incredibly stimulating. I found it to be life-giving in a lot of ways. 
But I will say this. It was very easy to treat the Bible like a textbook to be learned and a field of study to be mastered. I have a master's degree in theology. What a lie. What a crock. You don't master theology. Theology done well masters you. You know, I learn how to sit over this text and tear it apart and put it back together again. But what seminary never taught me was that the Bible is supposed to tear me apart and put me back together again. And we cannot go back. And again, I'm not saying don't go back to Bible studies. I'm saying we cannot go back to that kind of Bible study. We cannot. We can't afford it. This is too important. And again, it would be so easy to do, and it would feel like godliness. It would feel to us like the Lord must be pleased with us because look at what we're doing. Instead, we need to chart a new path forward. In the other half of church, uh, Pastor Michelle mentions a few important areas that we all need to focus on. And hopefully, if you were not in a group, you still read the book. I encourage you strongly, read that last chapter in the book two more times if you've already read it. If you haven't read it, read it three times. I'm telling you, read it again and read it again because he lays out this path for us that is a godly um, and, and necessary path for us to find the kind of transformation that Jesus promises. And he's not saying anything new, honestly. Uh, you could disagree with all the, the brain science in the book, but the conclusions are biblical, scriptural uh, challenges for us. And he shows in the scripture right where they are. So number one, what do we need to do? We need to keep building healthy soil. Do you remember those four elements of the soil that are necessary for growth? They are not the growth. They're the prerequisite to growth. Okay? Healthy soil is a foundation of joy, one, a community of deep love and commitment, both with the Father and with one another. It is this group identity knowing what it is like us to do in Jesus Christ. So I, actually, I don't remember if I said it already, but uh, I was maybe talking with someone else this morning, and the verse in Romans 12 came up. Do not be conformed to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. How do we know how to do that? How do we know what it should be transformed into? How do we know what the mind of Christ really is? Well, the Holy Spirit, but also the people of God. Do you know what Christian means? Little Christ. We should all be little Christs running around here, encouraging each other and modeling for each other what it means to be a son of the King of the universe or a daughter of the King of the universe, to be a brother and sister of Jesus. This is what we're called to do. Uh, so it's that community identity, and then finally, a willingness to correct one another and doing it in a good, healthy, courageous way where we can say, hey, what you're doing, that's not like us. We don't do that. What we do is this instead because Jesus did that. <laughs> you know, and it's, it's a relatively simple formula. So we don't give up on transformation and take the easy road. We press in to the things of God and the promises of the Scripture and the work of the Holy Spirit because Jesus didn't give up on us. Do you see? It's, it's a simple model, a simple process. 
and, and you can apply it to almost every area of your life. But we need to know what it's like us to do. We need to. So we need to build those four elements of our soil. Second thing is we need to learn, uh, we need to learn what the next steps are for our growth. So remember, those four healthy soil elements, that's the prerequisite. That's not the final goal. We've been doing groundwork the last seven weeks. Sure, we've also been working on our character, but what we've been doing really is we've been, we've been preparing the garden for the seeds. And now comes the work of planting, watering, pruning, weeding. <laughs> All that stuff still needs to happen for us to become everything that God has invited us to become. Now, what are these next steps? Well, they're laid out in the book. And there might be a few others, but I think it's pretty comprehensive. We need to learn and practice the healing of traumas, the healing of our hurts that trip us up and get in the way. Have you ever been committed to a new way of doing something, but then your spouse, your coworker, your child, your parent says something to you and it triggers that response and you just can't help it? Well, God says, look, there's healing for that. That doesn't need to stay there forever. You don't need to have, you don't need to get tripped up every time, um, uh, you know, someone sets a limit for you. Maybe you had unhealthy limits in your life as a kid, and so you learned to hate limits. And God says, let, let me teach you how to love limits because they're for your good. Let me teach you how to love the law, the law of God, and maybe even the law of man. Let me teach you how to do that. You don't have to stay there. You know, and, and multiply that by a million different things that you could struggle with. Uh, we, need, we need to fill in the gaps in our own maturity. So there's a process. Uh, in the book, The Other Half of Church, there's actually in the, in the appendix, there's a process that you can go through. And also, I sent one out in our email. It's similar but different. It's actually a little more comprehensive to recognize what are the gaps in my maturity and how can I begin to fill them. And look, this is important. None of us are responsible for the gaps in our maturity because our maturity, we're relying upon the community to help us gain them. But once you realize what, what they are, now that you're an adult and you see what they are, it is your responsibility to do something about the holes in your maturity. So, you know, I, I know for myself, this has been a hard one because part of it has been being honest and acknowledging the failures of my own family. And that doesn't feel good for me. And it's not, that, it's not to beat down on anyone. You do it with the same kind of compassion and grace that we've been talking about. But it, to be honest and say, you know what? This wasn't good in my life. This wasn't good in my family. This wasn't good in this relationship that I had early on that formed me in a powerful way. And you say, what do I do to counteract that? Now, if you need your family and your community to build those things in you when you're little, you also need it when you're older. There is an axiom that you cannot mature on your own. Now, fortunately, we always have the presence of the Lord. God can help you mature and your community can help you mature, but you cannot do it by yourself. We need to get more training, and maybe we need certain people to get more training. So Sonia and I have our eyes on, on a training that do, that's done that not only helps us grow, but helps us learn how to help others grow so that we can 
continue on the path that, we, that we're equipped, that we're, we're putting our time and our resources in a place that helps all of us grow. We need to keep working to connect the left and right brain. You know, these are things that we just need to do. Um, we've talked about this before, raising up spiritual moms and dads. We need more people in our community who are there to help others along the way, who are a little bit further ahead. You don't have to have it all together because then no one will ever do it. But you're just far enough ahead that you can help others that are coming behind you. That's so important. So, you know, we need to build the healthy soil. We need to learn the next steps. Uh, we need to step up to a more authentic and complete um, practice of the church and a more complete view of the church. You know, if we look in Ephesians chapter 4, it says here in verse 11, Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers, these five different ministries, by the way, uh, these are not offices, I don't believe, in the church, but these are functions of ministry in the church. Okay? So we hear that word pastor in there. You might think, oh, it's referring to the pastor of the church. It's like, no. no. These are people that God has gifted to be prophets, people that God has gifted to be evangelists, people that God has gifted to be teachers and pastors and apostles, to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, and we reference this already, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. The role of spiritually gifted people is to raise up the church to maturity, to conform to the image of Christ, to do the work of the ministry. And far too long, we've seen in the church at large this division between the what we might call the clergy and the laity or you know I, I used I joke sometimes that I'm a professional Christian you know I get paid to be a Christian you know but but there really I, I, that's re there's really no difference before the Lord I mean there are some differences in calling for sure but in worth or value or in the way God wants to work and move through us we're not different we're the same you know, God has called all of us to be a, a priesthood, a holy priesthood. You know, one of the reasons that the most Protestant churches don't have priests is that we believe that everyone's a priest. And you don't need special vestments to be a priest. You don't need a collar to be a priest. You don't need a special title to be a priest. You're just a priest because God made you one when he called you into his family. And so we all have this calling. It, it, we're all in it together. I believe that we need an unflinching focus on discipleship and maturity. Again, it would be so easy, like, oh, this book study's done. Now what's the next thing? Well, what's coming up? Well, Thanksgiving, Advent, and then what? What are we going to do next? And I know some of you are in small groups. You're like, what are we going to do next? Well, we're going to do a study on this book of the Bible and that book of the Bible, which is great, fantastic, but it cannot be the, at the expense of focusing on our need to mature and grow in Christ. It cannot be, because it won't happen without that focus. And that requires a certain vulnerability. I have been trying to model vulnerability with you, um, 
But that's, don't think, oh, it's great that the pastor does that. And that's not going to get us very far. We need to do it. We all need to step up. We all need to be brave in that area. Honest, humble. I, I need to learn a lot of humility. But I'll venture to say that a lot of us need to learn a lot of humility. You know, and we need to have a community that's built on joy and love. Now, hopefully as I say these things, I'm just, this is an aside, hopefully as I say these things, this doesn't feel like some kind of a burden. This is an invitation to something good. This is, this is like, um, I mean, because are, are, are you hearing any of this and thinking, oh no, more stuff to do? Yeah? You know, there is a reality of that. I mean, there's an aspect of that. Do you know how much work it takes? You guys know. How much work does it take to go on vacation? It takes a ton of effort, especially if you have kids it takes, and a husband. It takes a ton of effort to prepare for a vacation. You know, but we do it. Why? For the joy set before us, right? Hebrews talks about Jesus going to the cross for the joy set before him. And then he's seated on the right hand of the Father in the throne room in heaven. And he gathers around all those that he has, that he has redeemed from death and eternal punishment. And they are now no longer in the kingdom of darkness, but they're in the kingdom of light. And we're this family of God. You know, this is the reward. It's worth the effort. But it's, it's it, there's this good that's going to come. And we won't see the good without the work. And then the last thing that I'll just mention here, and then we're going to close soon, is we need to confront all of the self-justification, shame avoidance, uh, deflecting that can crop up. And we need to insist on bearing our healthy, rightful shame. Why do we bear our healthy, rightful shame? Because Jesus was willing to bear shame for us. And he overcame it so it will not break us. Shame will not break you anymore because you have been, you know, we talk about how Jesus takes away all our shame. But here's something important. You know how Jesus takes away all our sin, but we still sin. And we still repent of our sin. We still acknowledge our sin and then we turn from it, ideally. Jesus takes all our shame, but we still need to acknowledge the shame, face the shame, and then give it over to Jesus. And then let it go. And so we have this way, I love the book uses this phrase, we have a way to metabolize shame. Do you get the image there? Just like you eat that extra bowl of ice cream but your metabolism is fast enough that it takes care of it. Right? So you take that bowl of shame, but because of Jesus Christ, you can metabolize it and you're going to be okay. It's such a beautiful image, really. Powerful image. So if we do these things, if we build the healthy soil, if we take the next steps in our own learning and education and equipping, if we have this more accurate view, a biblical view of the church, if we have an unflinching focus on discipleship and maturity, and if we confront self-justification wherever it crops up, what will the result be? What do you think the result will be? Any words come to mind? What's that? Growth. 
healthy, joy, anymore, satisfaction, um, amazement, <laughs> a closeness, connectedness. How about attractive? You know, I think in our personal life, one of the biggest changes that we'll experience will be a type of steadfastness and steadiness that many of us can only dream of. I'm wondering, did anyone feel in any way anxious this last week? I don't know if you heard, there was this election that happened, and the results didn't come right away, and some people were saying it's going to go this way, other people saying it's going to go that way. Uh, it, w it felt kind of mixed. Like there was this mixed result that was, it was unexpected by most people. Did you feel angry in any way this last week? Did you feel fear in any way this last week? Did you feel excitement in any way this last week? Maybe some of you were tempted to gloat a little bit. Maybe some of you were tempted to get depressed a little bit. Uh, did anyone feel judgmental at all this last week? Did anyone feel joy at all this last week? You know, what would it look like if you could experience all those emotions, but you could remain true not only to yourself, but to the Lord in them? What if they didn't knock you out of your place? What if, like James describes, it, they didn't, they, it wasn't like waves tossing you to and fro, but that you could remain steadfast in who you are and who God made you to be and who the Lord is, regardless of what happens? How many of you would like to live like that? I know I would. The, the reality is, no matter what's going on in the world, no matter what's going on in my life, no matter what's going on in politics or in my family, I want to be a person who is, ex, uh, who is ex, not, not extolling, um, displaying the fruit of the Spirit in everything that I do. I want to display love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, uh, gentleness, self-control. These things are not easy in the face of difficult moments, but they are all attainable in Christ, all of them. And so if you're not experiencing that kind of living, then you have to say, what do I need to change? What do I need to do to grow in this area? And we're saying these are some ways to grow, to grow, build that soil, have that correction. Uh, uh, focus on your maturity. Um, you know, don't allow, don't allow deflecting and, and, and self-justification. Build joy. All of this stuff. And the second is it'll be, that's, I think that's a big area of internal flourishing that can happen. But the second will be a communal flourishing. Imagine that you go to work Monday and your coworker says, were you freaking out last week? You say, you know, I, I really wasn't because not only did I have confidence that the Lord is in charge, but also I've got this community that I'm a part of and we were all, we were all encouraging each other. We were all steady. No one was freaking out. Nobody was flying off the handle. We, re we were reminding each other 
that regardless of our political hopes and aspirations for this election, that, that ultimately, you know, that's not what's going to determine the course of my future. Oh, really? I'd like to meet these friends of yours. <laughs> Can you imagine? Can you imagine someone else inviting themselves to church because they hear about this group of people that's so amazing that they, that they don't want to not know them? Now, and then you might say, well, yeah, you can meet them. We, meet, we get together every Sunday morning. Oh, for brunch? No, not really. <laughs> we go to church. Oh, oh, ch- well, all right, can I come? That's not what I was expecting. And by the way, that's not what people expect of the church. Because what do people see on TV if they don't know a Christian? What do they see of Christians on TV? Angry, judgmental, divisive, arguing. Now, there's a reason for that, too, because that's what sells airtime, right? That's not just because that's all that's out there. But, man, it, it's out there, and, and people don't expect that from the church. I, I imagine that there are a, there's a huge number of people in the world that are feeling this deep internal longing for something different in their life, and it never occurs to them to look for the answer in the church. We need to change that story. We need to flip that script. We need to display to the world a community that's so inviting, so loving, so mature, so connected, that it's like a a big magnet and people feel themselves inextricably drawn to it, inexplicably drawn to it. I mean, just think about what kind of impact that would have just just on this town and the neighborhoods around it to have one church that has a reputation for being different in such a wonderful way what would it do i think it i think it could be transformative for this community you know when we came here our family sonia and i and our girls when we came here 11 years ago Sonia and I got up here and we said, we believe that 20 years from now, our town should be different because we're here. That belief has not gone away. But I will say, we haven't seen a ton of fruit in that regard. I'm not sure I can point to very many definitive ways in which our town is better because we're here. There's some. There's some small ones. And there's some people whose lives have been affected by the fact that we're here, for sure. But I, when, when, we, when it's finally God calls us wherever he's going to call us, whenever that is, 10 years, 100 years, not 100, we won't live that long, 10 years, 30 years, whatever it is, I, wanna, I want us, not for our sake, not for our need for glory or anything like that, I want to be able to look at this town and the neighborhoods around it and say, yeah, it's better now. It's better now because we were here and because we were doing something that honored the Lord, so it's, that's, that's God-honoring, and that is transformative for the people around it. That's my hope. I think there's a message here that would be very intriguing to people who don't have any interest in Christ. I mean, I can imagine a time coming where, where we're training people in these things that we've been learning. 
and showing them what community looks like. And we don't even have to lead with Jesus. We just lead with, hey, do you want to get unstuck in life? And they come and they find that, oh, actually, Jesus is the answer to getting unstuck. And it's a community like this that is the answer to getting unstuck. And they give their lives to the Lord. I mean, this is my heart. And I know for a lot of you, it's your heart too. But we can't step back. We can't take our foot off the gas pedal yet. And really, you can't ever. You can't ever. You know, I look at some of you in here who are, who are our uh, more seasoned veterans in the, in the gospel and in the church. And um, I know that for a long time in the church, there has been this attitude of, well, you know, I work hard in the Lord, and then I get to a certain age, and then, you know, I retire. It's like, we cannot afford for you to retire we need you now more than ever, and we need you to be standard bearers, and we need you actually to be um, joining us with machetes to hack through the jungle and forge a path. And the reality is your machete skills are better than ours are, and we need you. You can't slow down. And those of us who are younger or less experienced in the Lord, we need to be willing to walk behind them encouraging them and learning from them and and then and that's going to help make that path as well you know we can't we can't relax because because you know uh what is it when the geese fly and the one in front takes all the wind resistance you know you can't relax just because you're in the back of the v because what's going to happen is your turn's coming your turn's coming you need to be ready and strong tony I would love for you to give a word of encouragement. Will you do me a favor, Tony? Will you just, would you share it here so they can hear you at home? That would be great. Here, hold on one second. Can you say it right here? It just resonated with me. And I can review what it transpired in my life. Here we go. But something very interesting is Brother Howard mentioned about a happening happened this week. Uh, Saturday, uh, my son Paul came over to the house and we, uh, we went out for lunch. And I don't know if you folks know that I do give out Bibles from Gideon. And so we sat down to have lunch this week over there in Walpole, <coughs> and one of the head waitresses, I won't mention her name, uh, she came to service. And, uh, started talking and then she uh, turned around and she said to me with Paul I, I, I introduced my son Paul to the waiter and then <coughs> she said to me uh, you know Tony uh, I can't get you out of my mind and I didn't know what she was going to say so she said you know that Bible you gave me right she said every time I take it I there isn't a place I go, don't go, that I don't have that Bible with me. And I read it. And it means so much to me. And I said, you don't know how it made me feel. You know. She said, well, on top of that, she said, they diagnosed me a couple of years ago, just about the time I gave her a Bible, people let me pray with her. She said, 
said, uh, uh, I've been diagnosed with stage four cancer. And stage four cancer is not a joke. And uh, she said, so I take the Bible with me everywhere I go and I read it. And the reason she says I don't go to church is because I work on Sunday. So I, I encourage her to continue to serve the Lord by reading the Word of God. Mm. And so we don't know how we affect people by our lights, becoming imitators of the Lord Jesus Christ. And as his word reflects through us, we can be a, an encouragement to those mm. that are around us. Yeah. And so I was, I was humbly uh, exhilarated in the Lord because that's what it should do. When we are doing the will of God, when we are working for him, and we see, that we see things happening through our humble little way of serving Thank you, Tony. Thank you. And so, church, we, we, in life and as a community, we regularly come to crossroads. It's not a rare thing because we all, there, there's an exit ramp every quarter mile. And I'm going to tell you, at every one of those exit ramps, there's, you know, there's food, bathroom, gas, you know, all these things that you think, oh, I should get off. And maybe there's, maybe some of them ha even have like amusement parks and all sorts of, like, oh, we should get off here. This looks like a good spot to rest. But the Lord, I believe, is, is calling for us and inviting us to say, no, keep going. Just keep going. It's not time yet. And, and we, we get moments of rest. We get breaks. Um, it's, not, it's not that we, you know, push ourselves ragged. Uh, even, you know, we just, we got to keep, we got to keep going. So we have a choice to make, church. And I, and I would say today that um, we have the option of returning to the status quo, or we have the option of pressing into a bit of an unknown getting our machetes out and hacking through the wilderness. 
You know, I know I'm mixing a lot of metaphors here. But I think you get the idea. You know, when you, when you go off the track, because this is not the path that, that we see so often, but when you go off the track, you get scratches, you get bruises, you get tired. Uh, you know, it's not easy. It's not easy. But when you get through it, and you get to the other side, and you see what God is doing, you know, you will never regret following the Lord through the difficult path. You'll never regret it. You know, the Bible has been preparing us for this. It prepares us for difficult tasks. It prepares us for challenging moments. And it, honestly, it prepares us because this is going to require a type of dying. Now, now, my wife has been reminding me of this because I need to hear it too. I struggle with this. But the word prepares us. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. You know, the, the Bible is not uh, a book for being comfortable. It's a real, it's honest, and it, and, it's a, and it gives us what we need to face all the challenges that are before us. Because if you think that any of this will happen easily, then, then you've, A, you've misunderstood our enemy. And I think you've probably misunderstood yourself. So we have an enemy who is trying to kill us, and steal from us, and destroy us. And we have that flesh, that sin nature that will take all the good things the Lord provides and twist them around if we let it. Okay, so what's it going to be? What's that? I can't hear you, I'm sorry. Oh, okay, yeah. Yeah. So what is it going to be, church? Again, we're going to need more than Howard. Anyone else? Yeah, we got three people. <laughs> I, we 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 can't afford to. Like we, it's gonna we're gonna need more than four people. Like I, this may f feel pressuring, but it it is. It is it's, there's pressure here? Not from me. Like this is what it takes. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, let's turn this on for you. Hold on. Can you come right here? Yeah. I, I, I'm sitting there, but I'm, I just keep hearing these. Um, thank you for the invitation to, um, to join in the study of the book, but the invitation wasn't really from you. It is from the Lord. So I don't know who is in a group or who's not, who's, uh, who's joined or who didn't. I don't know. I only know in my group, but I can tell you, this is an invitation from the Lord, so if you haven't, just reach out to someone and, and just start doing it if you are not in a group and you're reading it on your own because it does make a difference. I cannot um, emphasize um, all the situations that I found myself in and things that we're reading on, it just, you know, kicks in and I'm like, oh, yikes, you know, and what is my community to do? What is God calling me to do? 
So um, this is actually a calling from God. Like Amanda said last weekend here, God is calling us to rise up. And he's telling us, come follow me. And he will make us fisher of men. It, it, different uh, ways of doing this that sometimes we don't think of, but he is calling us to, to raise to the occasion and, and stop being stiff-necked, stop being fearful, and stop being stagnant. We need to rise up to the calling, the higher calling that God has given us. So um, if you haven't, you know, like I said, I, 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 I'm thankful that we are doing this book, but I, now I understand when I was told originally about the book, I was like, oh yeah, another book. But <laughs> what a blessing it has been. So um, an invitation, I, I think, it's, I, I know it's an invitation from the Lord. So I just wanted to say that. Um, I'll be honest, I didn't catch all of that because uh, just Esther's having some kind of serious allergic reaction and she's swelling up, so we're calling an ambulance. Um, and so I'm wondering if we can just stop and pray for her for a moment. Um, yeah, so she, she got stung last night and it's, it seems to have gotten significantly worse. So, Lord, we just uh, pray for Esther and pray that you would reduce that swelling, Lord, and that you would take care of her and provide what she needs, Lord, and I pray for a quick response from the ENT and that um, she would get the care that she needs quickly, Lord. I pray that you comfort her, give her courage as she's scared right now, uh, but that she wouldn't be afraid because she knows that you're with her and she knows that you're watching over her. Lord, I pray for um, just a quick resolution, full complete uh, healing of her body and not to have this reaction that it's having. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to let your call be the, be the final word on that. Um, and I'm, what we were planning to do and we'll still do is we're, we're going to sing a song to one another and if you're in the groups, then you experience this, that we did this together. Um, but what I invite you to do is to just stand up. And Beth's going to lead us in the servant song. And I'm going to go be with Esther. Uh, but God, I trust, will solidify that he will solidify in our hearts all that needs to be there. And that he will uh, work the way he needs to work for us and for what we need as a so I'm gonna here's, a, here's an idea real quick. If you're in the front two rows, can you turn around? In the front two rows, just turn around. And there'll be some words up on that screen behind, in front of you. And then there'll be words up here on this screen. They're the same words. But I would love you, to the extent that you can, as you're singing this song, you know, you're looking at the words. Can you put those up, Rich? 